1: I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. Lovecraftian, referring to, or reminiscent of, the work of the American fantasy and horror fiction author H.P. Lovecraft, 1890 to 1937. Or at least that's one definition. Other possibilities. One, a story in which the protagonist slowly uncovers things man was not meant to know. Two. A story containing terrifyingly unnatural, godlike creatures, the mere knowledge of which will lead to certain insanity. 3. A story with an atmosphere of cosmic fear, of utter impotence in the face of inexplicable horror. 4. Excessively florid writing, a story in which the words eldritch, cyclopean, and amorphous appear on at least every second page. Lovecraft's work is weird fiction, a term which has quite a specific meaning, as we'll get into. It's not horror in the more typical sense of something horrific intruding upon the protagonist's world. Lovecraft's horror is a cosmic terror. It's a slow realisation or revelation that humanity is an insignificant afterthought in a vast universe of indescribable creatures. His writing is all about atmosphere, not plot. And stylistically, it's very recognisable and very easy to imitate or parody. Lovecraftian sentences tend to sound like the following. So a sailor describes his encounter with a slimy expanse of hellish black mire which extended about me in monotonous undulations. Or playing a weird musical instrument is described as producing dissonances of exquisite morbidity and cacodemoniacal ghastliness. H.P. Lovecraft's writing has been enormously influential on the development of genre fiction, science fiction, fantasy and particularly horror. His is a world, a mythos, in which the insignificance of humanity is gradually and terrifyingly revealed. His fiction links together, and key ideas are referenced across his work. The powerful cosmic entity Cthulhu, the fabled book The Necronomicon, The Elder Things, and so on. And he also encouraged other contemporary writers, particularly a select few writing for the pulp magazine Weird Tales, to build on and reference this world in their own work. And long after his death, lots of people are still contributing to the Cthulhu mythos. It's become a recognisable part of popular culture. It's referenced, supplemented, parodied, critiqued, documented and dissected. Cthulhu and the pantheon of other cosmic creatures, the Outer Ones, the Great Old Ones, is a source of fascination for huge numbers of people, especially online. It's pretty safe to say the internet is a bit obsessed with H.P. Lovecraft. And... It's also all a bit, well, weird, if you haven't really come across it before. I thought I'd grab a friend of mine, Anne-Marie, and introduce her to the world of Cthulhu, someone for whom the whole area would be as unfamiliar as the ancient chant of Cthulhu. This is the translation of it, obviously, yeah. it? In his house at Ryleh, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming. Okay. Fn- wait, I'll start again. <laughs> <laughs> F- Fniglui... Malwignaf Cthulhu relieth Wagnag Fatan. Nice. Okay. So after confirming that Anne Marie did not, in fact, have any idea who or what Cthulhu was, I gave her the backstory, and we sat down at my laptop. I showed her one of the many YouTube sightings of Cthulhu. And then we headed over to Amazon. Oh, he looks cute. <laughs> you can buy a, he looks like a much friendlier Russian. You can buy a 12-inch Cthulhu plush toy. Okay. Uh, there are Cthulhu toys. Uh, you know where the wild things are? Yeah. This book, yeah? Yeah. So all of the different um, Cthulhu sort of... the It's called the Cthulhu mythos. It's like this whole kind of self-contained world of those different things. Yeah. And the different sort of creatures are called like the... The elder things and the deep ones and so forth. And so this is where the wild things are, and this is uh, where the deep ones are. Okay. And so people sort of like play with this kind of idea. Is this a children's book? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think so, yeah. It's a retelling of The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Um, So, I think it's a children's book. but
0: yeah. <laughs> just if you want your children to never sleep again.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, And then, you know, you can kind of go mad on Amazon and you can buy a t-shirt, Excuse me, do you have time to talk about our lord and saviour Cthulhu? Okay. Cthulhu's yeah. kind of taken on like a religious sort of okay. um, sense as well. So, so I imagine so it's the kind of thing where, you know, you see a fellow horror nerd on the dart, and you give them a little nod just because they're wearing the t-shirt. Exactly, exactly. Are you a Metallica fan? Nah. They have nah. a, like, nine-minute instrumental homage to no Cthulhu. Way. And then you also get um, Cthulhu running for president. So, um, <laughs> this is uh, Cthulhu 2016. Okay. The greater of two evils yeah. uh, with the hashtag uh, no lives matter that's great <laughs> um, that's great which is uh, you know Cthulhu 2016 unfortunately he didn't win no. in 2016 so that's he is shame. obviously running for Cthulhu 2020 yeah. so he has a Cthulhu for America Twitter account which has you know plenty of followers so like after the American senator Cory Booker tweeted, you know, you can't lead the people if you don't love the people. Mm -hmm. Cthulhu says the vast majority of leaders throughout human history despise their people. I not only despise all humans, I want to devour them. (laughs) It's just going
0: to be one of those things that now that I know it exists I'm going to end up seeing it everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be that
1: person giving someone the nod. So, Cthulhu and Lovecraftian horror has firmly infiltrated popular culture. In some cases, the influence is very considered. The hugely popular podcast Welcome to Night Vale is a particularly good example. In other cases, like with the internet memes and t-shirts, it's at a pretty superficial level. But there's much more to Lovecraft's writing, and more widely to the whole subgenre of weird fiction. It's a form that not only found a wide and enthusiastic audience in the 1920s and 30s, but it has continued to do so. There's been a boom in weird fiction in the last two decades or so. It is, when you start examining it closely, a particularly appropriate form for our world right now. But let 's go back a bit,
0: so lovecraftian as a as a kind of term comes out obviously of of lovecraft 's work but also the American contemporary writers um, uh, that were also publishing in some of the same magazines, particularly of course weird tales, um, writers like Robert e. howard, who 's perhaps more famous for the Conan stories, but also wrote. Um, supernatural, strange fiction.
1: That's the same Conan as Conan the Barbarian of 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger fame. And this, by the way, is Dr Tim Jarvis, lecturer at the University of Bedfordshire in England and author of Weird Fiction.
0: I'm Tim Jarvis. Um, I write fiction as Timothy J. Jarvis. Um, and my fiction is is very much in the weird Genre. Um, so I've written one novel called *The Wanderer*, which is a story about um, somebody who finds out that they've been cursed with immortality. It's that kind of classic wanderer theme, um, and they're at the end of time, reflecting back on their life and the things that have happened to them. And there's there's this other sort of dark force, this dark entity that's um, that's trying to track them down. And that was really influenced by sort of the whole history of the weird. Really, in my kind of day job, I am an academic. I teach creative writing and English literature. And um, as a researcher, I have kind of academic uh, interest in weird fiction.
1: So, as a practitioner and critic of the weird, Dr Jarvis is exactly who I want to be talking to about H.P. Lovecraft. As he points out, a key part of Lovecraft's influence is not actually his fiction, but his criticism. Lovecraft wrote this groundbreaking treatise on the Gothic, it's called Supernatural Horror in Literature, and it gave the horror genre this unbroken lineage going from the 18th century right up to the present day.
0: Lovecraft in that, in that book writes about writers like Nathaniel Hawthorne and Ned Brown and Poe as being examples of an American kind of gothic supernatural. And then he talks about contemporary writers, writers just of the generation before him. Um, and he synthesizes all of these ideas. Into um, an, into a kind of uh, explanation of what weird fiction is, um, and I think that's why Lovecraft partly why Lovecraft has this huge influence. There's something very strange and compelling about his fiction as well, but his critical work is really insightful. So the adjective Lovecraftian comes, I think, from from this, um, from his work um, as a critic in supernatural horror and literature. He very famously writes this kind of description of what the weird is. Um, which I've got here, I'll read it out. Um, so he just writes in this kind of really famous passage, The one test of the really weird is simply this, whether or not there be excited in the reader a profound sense of dread and of contact with unknown spheres and powers, a subtle attitude of awed listening as if the beating of black wings or the scratching of outside shapes and entities on the known
1: universe's utmost rim. I'll quote that last bit again in case you missed it. A subtle attitude of awed listening, as if for the beating of black wings with the scratching of outside shapes and entities on the known universe's utmost rim. It's kind of Lovecraft summed up in a sentence, really. So, Lovecraft's innovation was to move away from typical creatures of folk horror, vampires, ghosts, the undead, and to create his own unique teratology, his own mythology of monstrous creatures, Cthulhu being the most famous of these. There are also creatures who are often described in very precise scientific detail. The hideous taxonomy is part of the horror. But these ideas didn't come out of nowhere. A scientifically influenced cosmic horror, the terrifying and nihilistic realisation that humanity is utterly insignificant... Lovecraft, just like many of his contemporaries, was responding to a new understanding of the world that scientists were uncovering at this time.
0: Lovecraft is most terrified, I think, by um, the gulfs of time and space that were opened up by the new sciences of relativity non-euclidean geometry um, and the the changes in science. so in a way, all of the writers of that period are responding to these transitions, you know the whole edifice of You know, rational empirical science is challenged by the new sciences, the abstract um, sciences, Um, and Lovecraft, who loved the 1700s, who was a a man of the Enlightenment and loved the Age of Reason, is, I think, profoundly unsettled and terrified by the betrayal. I think um, of uh, you know scientific um, understanding. No longer can we. Think that at one, you know, one time in the future we'll understand everything because science has become abstract. Um, uncertainty means that you know the very idea of observing the world and understanding it by measuring it becomes impossible.
1: I mean, we may take this for granted now, but the world at this point was changing utterly. As Lovecraft was writing weird fiction, quantum mechanics was emerging, completely overhauling the classical physics which had seemed to so clearly explain the world we live in.
0: And for Lovecraft, that's terrifying. And so out of this terror, he creates these, you know, um, impossibly uh, vast and impossibly powerful entities that come um, from the furthest reach of the universe, come to Earth, and they're impossibly threatening. because they're material, they're not supernatural, and because they um, they don't even bear um, human beings' malice. You know, they don't even care. Tulu doesn't care that the human race. It doesn't even notice the human race. The threat um, that they pose is incidental, um, and I think that's the terrifying thing that has influenced so many people and why Lovecraft is. Um, so profound. He's like a kind of pulp version of modernism or a pulp version of the most nihilistic existentialism. You know, he's in that lineage from uh, Schopenhauer to Nietzsche.
1: Lovecraft was not the only writer creating weird fiction of this type with its blend of science fictional and fantasy elements and its strange alien entities. But he was unique in how and where he brought these different strands together. His work is very literary and quite philosophical. It's a type of ontological horror. It's a questioning of what it is to be an individual human in an infinitely vast universe. His stories are, for the most part, extremely well-crafted. So it can be strange to think that they were encountered in the context of pulp magazines like Weird Tales. In amongst other stories whose literary merit may not have been quite on par with Lovecraft's, to say the least... But while he never had any of his stories collected and published in book form in his lifetime, the huge readership of Weird Tales meant that his work was extremely influential. One of the other major influences on his work was race, or more specifically, his absolute horror of miscegenation, of the interbreeding of different races. As with any historical author or artist whose work you might admire, but whose beliefs you abhor, addressing this tension is, Crucial, even if there are no easy answers. Lovecraft's work is unquestionably influential, and it's a central part of horror literature, but it's also driven by his revulsion at racial otherness.
0: He had a pathological terror of difference and otherness. He couldn't have written the stories that he wrote without that. So, in some ways, the the idea, even though most of the um, explicitly racist views are expressed in in his letters um rather than in the fiction, there's only a couple of tales which have that kind of explicitly racist, the worst or the you know the most egregious being um the horror red hook. But there is this kind of sense that it's his whole oeuvre is just uh, peppered with this 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 horror, this terror of miscegenation. Um the shadow over Innsmouth is the kind of Um, in a way one of his best stories, but also one of the stories that's in a way most troubling. This is a story where um, the story is concerned with a town. A young man goes there and he's sort of aware that the people in this town quite a lot of them look quite strange. They've got bulging eyes. They've got fish-like characteristics. And it slowly emerges that this, the people of this town have been interbreeding with um, a race that uh, Lovecraft calls the Deep Ones, who are a fish-like race that come up from the, the bottom of the ocean. And that whole story is is concerned with this kind of idea of miscegenation and interbreeding, and he's terrified of it.
1: So... Are there ways now of writing in a weird Lovecraftian tradition, of staying true to Lovecraft fiction while writing against his view of the world? Well, there are plenty of people who write weird fiction, and plenty of people who write terrible Lovecraft-like fiction. But if you know where to look...
0: There are some really brilliant writers, and probably the the most extraordinary of all of them is Caitlin R. Kiernan, who's um, been writing since the 90s, Um, and many of her stories are in a Lovecraftian vein. And she's deeply troubled by those ideas and kind of constantly turning them over. And one of the things she does is she she turns Lovecraft's horror of miscegenation and transformation and bodily change um, on its head and embraces it as a kind of ecstatic. And there is a sense in which Lovecraft's, you know, terror can be read as ecstasy in a way. And in, in that story, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, the protagonist discovers at the end that he is becoming one of these um uh he's starting to develop the Innsmouth look that he's starting that he has a a heritage of uh, the fish people and um he's becomes quite quite excited. He sees this in the mirror and he he dreams of going and joining his brethren beneath the sea. And there's a kind of ecstasy there, although I think we're supposed to read that as horror in the context of the story, but Caitlin R. Kiernan takes that, that suggestion of the ecstatic and um, puts that in her work and has these works where people endure these Lovecraftian transformations, but it's seen as a kind of um, a new and a positive and a kind of visceral and exciting uh, moment, basically.
1: Kiernan is just one of a huge number of authors writing weird fiction today. And I'll put links on the Words to Not Effect website to all the authors mentioned in this episode. There are quite a few. Weird fiction, it seems, is particularly relevant right now. But I think the
0: reason why weird is, is coming back is partly to do with the, the kind of ideological and philosophical force that it has as, as a fiction. The etymology of the word weird and the way that it was originally used um, in in something like the you know, Shakespeare calling the witches in Macbeth the weird sisters is that it was linked it's an old Anglo-Saxon Norn word um, that's linked to the concept of fate. So the idea of the weird is the idea of what is fated and I think um, what the weird does is as a mode is it reveals some kind of um, underlying currents of the world that were already there, but that we were blind to before. But the weird kind of reveals them, um, and this, you know, this kind of revelation uh, of the the underlying um, kind of conditions of the world is is where the weird is is kind of situated, I think. And why I think that's become important now is because. The world has become so strange and in weirded. I mean, even more so in recent years. I mean, you know, the conditions of of Brexit or Donald Trump being the president of the U.S. are inherently weird and strange.
1: Or say the fact that our lives are now dictated by algorithms whose complexity is far beyond human understanding.
0: In weird fiction, the thing that's terrifying can never really be defeated. It's either too powerful. Always too nebulous, or you don't really know quite what's going on. Um, and that, I think, is what defines the weird. And I think that's why it's, it's relevant now, politically, philosophically, ideologically, because it allows us to make sense of a world that doesn't anymore make sense.
1: If weird fiction is a form which allows us to make sense of our world, or maybe more accurately, it allows us to accept that our world makes no sense at all, then who are the authors that exemplify the weird today The new weird is one label that's been given to contemporary authors writing in this tradition although these labels are usually contested and questioned but whatever you want to call it two of the most commercially and critically successful proponents of the weird are the authors China Mievel and Jeff Vandermeer Mievel is a critic and best-selling author and his work is pretty wide-ranging and often hard to summarise but it's engaging it's beautifully written it's incredibly inventive I may have to do a full episode on Mievel another time his work ranges from a trilogy set in the imaginary space of Baslag to works in which the weird and fantastical underbelly of contemporary Londoner revealed to The City and the City in which two societies live side by side in the same city but are forbidden from sort of acknowledging each other they have to learn to unsee the other city It's as weird as that sounds. And it's amazing, a multiple award-winning novel. Jeff Vandermeer is another writer very much part of this tradition. He and his wife, Anne Vandermeer, published an anthology of the new Weird, which was really important in kind of growing awareness of the whole area. And in his own right, he's written lots of weird fiction. His most well-known work is probably the Southern Reach trilogy. The first novel, Annihilation, is about an expedition of four scientists into Area X, an area in the US where something has happened and everything is incomprehensibly strange and different. It's one of those books where, when I finished reading it, my wife asked me what it was about. And I kind of said, well, it was very weird. But, you know, let me explain what I mean by the word weird. The
0: Southern Reach trilogy is, is really interesting in that I think um, it is weird with a capital W as well in the sense of it is about exposing something, um, you know. Obviously, Jeff Vandermeer is really interested in this kind of notion of weird materialism, and also this kind of eco, um, you know, the, the depredation that humankind is kind of bringing about to the environment we live in. And I think that's what that novel. Is. So, in that novel, is kind of it is weird in that very narrow sense of it's showing us uh, an aspect of the world through a speculative element and that uh, is is revealed
1: the book has actually just been made into a film starring natalie portman and directed by alex garland who wrote the beach among other novels and who directed ex machina seemingly it's only being released in cinemas in north america and china so the rest of us have to make do with its slightly later netflix release still i'm very intrigued Mievel and Vandermeer are just two of the more well-known authors of weird fiction today. There are plenty of others. My short interview with Dr. Jarvis actually turned into a much longer one, and he just had so many great recommendations. Amongst them are Camilla Gradova's The Doll's Alphabet, Martin McGuinness's Infinite Ground, Gary Budden's Hollow Shores, Joel Lane's Where Furnaces Burn, and the stories of Helen Marshall, D.P. Watt, Nicholas Royal, Ramsey Campbell, and Linda Rucker. I will, as mentioned, put all of these links on the website, wttepodcast.com, and you can take your pick. But basically, I have a lot of reading to do now. Lovecraft's work is all about the gradual uncovering of a terrible new reality which has been here all along. If you're not overly familiar with weird fiction or Lovecraft's work, then I hope this episode has revealed a new world to you whether cuddly Cthulhu toy, internet meme, or groundbreaking contemporary fiction. Unfortunately, as Lovecraft would point out, this piecing together of dissociated knowledge, this terrifying new vista of reality, will lead you to a certain nameless insanity. That's it for episode 14 and the first of season two. Thank you so much for listening and for coming back for more if you've been following the show since last year. I'm really excited about this season. I've got lots of great guests lined up and I'm going to try out a few new things as well. So please subscribe on your podcast app if you haven't already. The show has been growing and growing since it launched and I've just been overwhelmed by the kind words people have had to say about it. So my aim for this season is to at least double the audience. There are lots of ways, obviously, to get the word out there, but by far the most effective is word of mouth. So if you like the show, if you want to support it, if you want to help me keep making more episodes, then just introduce one friend to the show this week. Seeing a review or post online about a podcast is one thing, but if your friend sits you down and says you would love this podcast, go have a listen, you're probably going to listen, so please tell your friends. Let me know if you have. I'm on Twitter at CEDREID, c e d o r e i d, and I will personally thank you there. Special thanks this week to Dr. Tim Jarvis. I have links to his work as well as his weird novel, The Wanderer, which you can pick up online for an eminently reasonable price. Thanks also to Anne-Marie for allowing me to reveal the terrifying truth of Cthulhu to her. Music this week was by Paddy Mulcahy, a composer and producer from Limerick in Ireland. All the tracks were from his most recent album, The Words She Said, which I would highly recommend. It's fantastic. His website is paddymulcahy.com, and I have all the relevant links on my site too. All of these links are at wttepodcast.com, where there are also show notes, pictures, extra articles, and lots more. You can also follow the show on Facebook, and as of this season, it's also on Instagram. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in two weeks.
0: This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network.